Welcome to the Fitness FAQs podcast, where we use calisthenics to become strong like a gymnast, look like a bodybuilder, and gain mobility to move freely. What's going on, everyone? Daniel Vadnell here for Fitness FAQs, and I'm joined by Michael, or as he pronounces it in German. Uh, Micha. <laughs> I started, started the conversation. I did not want to butcher his name. Um, Michael is an absolute beast from Germany. He is referred to as the King of Weighted, which you're going to see why that name is the case in this conversation. For those of you that don't know who you are, Michael, could you give us a quick introduction of just some of the hard stats in terms of possibly um, you know, what your age is at the moment? And we'll delve into it from there. Uh, yeah, sure. So I'm Michael. I'm 27 years old, and I'm a basically calisthenics and weighted calisthenics coach and competitive athlete. And that's what I did for the last six to seven years from now. And also what I do as a profession now since uh, the last two years full time. And yeah, that's basically who I am. Awesome. So since you started, how long before you actually started to take it very seriously? Because we'll get into your your best feats of strength, but you're up there in terms of your, your pedigree of strength. So like when you first started, how long did it take you to start achieving and essentially competing in calisthenics? Mm, um, like the history of my like resistance training career is a bit longer. Like I started around 10 years ago as that regular gym bro, you know, was like ending my A-level and was like, you know, I had a lot of time in school and I was like, okay, let's go to the gym because all my friends went to the gym and so I started to do- join the gym. And like, I'm all always pretty obsessed with sports. If I like them, like I used to skate a lot, like a lot of skateboarding and before I was pretty obsessed with that. And then like the gym came and basically from the first day I was there, I went there almost every day. And I had like four years of, uh, yeah, let's call it uncontrolled gym bro style training. So uh, lots of chest, lots of neck, lots of biceps, um, like all that stuff. Did you uh, say neck? Yeah, like we used to shrug like oh, twice. Yeah, yeah. Because that's, you know, that's how my friends told me to train back then. <laughs> so right, yeah. Just, it's, you've got to get those traps. That's the key muscle exactly. group. Don't worry about the biceps. <laughs> that's uh, still still everything I got back from the day. So. <laughs> so that's the secret behind the gains. You've got to spend a few years working your traps. <laughs> and um, yeah, then uh, there was a pretty hot summer in, in Germany. And, you know, that studio was hot. It was sticky and super full and I was like, I need to, you know, get some alternatives. Mm-hmm. And then I just Googled if there is like those calisthenics parks or like those bars parks. Uh, we have something here in Berlin and there was. And then I just went there and there was like a local group training and they were like, you know, pretty nice community and they invited me directly over and like, okay, let's train together. And that's like the whole story from that. As I said, I'm pretty obsessed with sports. Like from that day, I went there fucking every day and, <laughs> nice. uh, because I liked it. I enjoyed it. And <clears throat> they also, they were mostly Russian people. Like we have a big Russian community here in, in Berlin and they were, you know, like what is new here in Germany and maybe in the Western Europe, like it's like they do it for 
20 oh, yeah. years. Oh, yeah. The, the standard of their training, I guess, uh, intensity, consistency, it's just, it's world-class, isn't it? Yeah. So I had the luck that they really introduced yeah. me uh, on, on a good level directly and, you know, showed me some forums, how to train, um, getting me into weighted calisthenics directly. So that was like my, my first touch point was directly weighted calisthenics. And like on my, my first session, like we directly maxing out, you know, uh, the smartest thing to do. Like, so my starting point on, on dips was like 50 kg, not like a competition standard form, but that was like uh, the starting point when I entered um, weighted calisthenics. But that, you know, with four years of training experience already, like I also could already, you know, do some, some kipping muscle ups and all that stuff. So I started my calisthenics journey on, uh, yeah, comparably high level if you compare it to really like a, a total beginner. Yeah. And that um, in Germany, there was this MRAP competition style coming up. Like, you know, um, people back in the days we were not that creative. You know, we had kettlebells to train. And kettlebell weight was 48 kg uh, and 24 kg. So it was 24 kg on the pull ups, it was 48 kg on the dips. And then it was MREP, like do as much reps as possible. And that were like the, the first competitions. And that was like three years, the standard of the competitions, like those MREP dips, MREP pull-ups, MREP muscle-ups, and sometimes also MREP squats. Um, but that came later. Like, you know, when the, when the scene started pushing and the hate came from outside and they said, okay, you need to train legs. And we were like, oh, fuck it. Okay, then uh, we need to yeah, train legs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where that uh, basically came in. Yeah. So with those uh, competitions, could you give me and the people listening just, a, I guess, a timeline of your, your progression in terms of pull-ups, dips, and the other the standards that were being in competition? So um, I can give that pretty good for the 1RM calisthenics, uh, which started in... 2018 was my my first one uh, ram competition, and there um, I did a uh, 100 kg dip. Um, think uh, 65 kg chin up, and um, we had pistol squats back then. One <laughs> ram pistol squats. That was like where I also fucked up my knees, and that was a uh, 55 kg pistol squat, I guess. Do you get that on uh, both legs, both sides, or just one? Uh, they you they randomly chose which leg, so they like, oh. like flip the coin. Yeah, right. And just for the people listening, what was your body weight and height when you achieved those numbers? So height sadly didn't change. Uh, <laughs> it's still like 172, 73 uh, centimeters. So yeah, pretty pretty short guy. And the weight back in the days was like 2017, 2018, around um, 72, 73 uh, kg. And nice. now I'm uh, a bit like 80, 81. So, uh, right. Ooh, a bit heavier now these days. Yeah. That tends to be, I found from my experience, um, the I guess around the genetic set point slash limit in terms of muscle size to body composition, like your height in centimeters and your weight in kilos. That's like a pretty sharp body composition if you can get to it. As you just said, that's what you were competing at. I imagine you were pretty like lean at that body weight too, right? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, you, you 
whenever you're competing, you have like the, the sweet spot of having enough muscle mass and yeah. having enough comfort in, in terms of performance without carrying too much weight uh, in terms of fat on your yeah. body. It's like that is a bit different for everyone. So someone can compete on a super, super lean level. Someone needs a bit more fat. Mm -hmm. That is pretty individual and depends like where you have the, the best performance. But usually that's pretty lean. Like take a look at the competitions, like 99% are ripped as fuck. Yeah. What's your thoughts, uh, especially for weighted calisthenics? It's really what I want to delve into today with you because you're very much so an expert in this area. Uh, body composition for weighted calisthenics versus just general sets and reps with body weight or freestyle stuff. Do you believe there's more value in having a, a higher body weight in order to push heavier loads in training or should one stay relatively lean? What's, what's your perspective on that? So uh, we definitely need more size um, because we're not flying around on the bars. Like, you know, we, we don't have heavy joint impact. So the, the, the muscle mass to performance ratio is more towards the muscle mass. Also, when you consider that um, the, the back squat is in there and you need to have like, you know, heavy, big, juicy quads to just, you know, squat a lot. Yeah. And um, that adds really uh, a lot of weight since it, it makes up more than half of your body. So uh, weighted calisthenics athlete is uh, definitely heavier and also should be heavier um, to have those more absolute loads. Like we're talking about, you know, that extra load and not about relative strength, which is probably better. So pound by pound strength is probably better on a, on a lower body weight. If you take a look at the gymnast, at the freestyle calisthenics guys, they are probably way stronger pound by pound. But uh, that doesn't give you first places. You need to have, you know, the, the max weight on the belt and therefore you definitely need more size, yeah. Are you still competing these days, Michael? So I had uh, 2020, I had a break. Um, so I took a year off because 2019 I did six competitions, which kind of burnt me out a bit from the uh, motivational point. Yeah, man, for and, sure. You know, and then 2020 I took off and this year uh, I'm going to be back. So I'm working on it. And then uh, by the end of this year, there will probably be uh, some competitions again. Let's see. Yeah, nice. And we'll see who's been putting in work during global pandemic, huh? Exactly. And, and I'm like one of the only ones who, who could do that here in, in yes, Germany. True. I have my own gym and everything else is closed. So uh, yeah, I hope that. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that people would have had their own like backyard pull-up bars and, and dip stations and stuff. But you had a very solid setup where you could use heavy weights. You could use, I know you've got machines there to be doing isolation-based stuff. So yeah, you've definitely got an advantage and years of knowledge for sure. Yeah, that's also good. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask, um, what's your, if you had to tell someone, what is your training philosophy? So I can tell clearly you're a, you're a calisthenics based athlete like myself, but it doesn't seem like that's all you do given your competition history and also your knowledge. So what would you say is your philosophy behind training? So at like really the, the most important and always has been the most important and will always be is like fun. Like I will always have that on, on the highest priority. 
So whenever I feel like, you know, um, too much in weighted calisthenics competition and then I get bored and that happened back in the days, I lose motivation and that sucks. You know, training is my, uh, you know, my passion and that should always be like this. So like priority number one is that training is fun. So that is also what I try to give out to clients and all that stuff is like there is you can have a perfect program, but if it's no fun, it's not perfect. It won't work, you know, so number one is always fun. And then, as you said, like I try not to to limit myself to a certain toolbox. It's like considering myself. I am now a street lifting athlete. I only do street lifting stuff. I'm now a calisthenics athlete. I only do bodyweight stuff. I'm now a gym bro and only, you know, uh, lift weights. Um, I take a look at my goals and then I choose which toolbox offers me the tools to get me better towards my goal. And then I choose because everything has advantages, disadvantages, is more fun, less fun. And then uh, I just try to, to yeah, get the, the best program for me out of, you know, all of the equipment that I have. So like some call it a hybrid mm, training yeah. If you want to, you know, put a tag on it. Um, so that would be my philosophy, like doing what makes you better, independent of the, the category uh, where it comes from. I agree 100% with you. And that's clearly the reason why you've been training for all these years, because in competition for calisthenics or just calisthenics in general and also fitness, you get a lot of people that get into it, go really hard for a few years and then they give up because they can't sustain it. But what you said about the enjoyment is is very true for your ongoing sustainability of your practice. Here's a good question for you. How do you, if you approach training as fun, at your level, clearly you need to be very dedicated to following a training program to, to get progress at your level because you're advanced. But you're also running a business which revolves around calisthenics. So you wanting to have fun but also progress and also do your business. I guess I'm asking, how do you manage that from a personal level? So as you know, business is going good, a lot of clients coming in, the the rate of skipped workouts definitely is, is going up, not gonna lie. So, you know, uh, you, need, you need to pay the rent. So business is first, um, like I'm in a, in a very lucky position that training is uh, a huge part of uh, the business um, that has a big advantage but also a big dangerous mm. or a big danger because like training is work uh, so I you know put that training in the stories put that on YouTube recording it um, but that's like a problem I, I, I want to have and you just uh, need to pre-plan training now so it's like, you know, um, having spontaneous workouts, uh, just doing whatever I want to do, uh, you can't do that. If you have like a limited time frame, I also cut it down my schedule to four workouts a week because I, I can't do more. You need to be like pretty strict and, you know, pre-plan everything uh, to make sure you can set progression, to make sure you can cover everything. and. Yeah, and then whenever, as you know, you have a good training schedule and then there is like uh, a video shooting coming in, you need to create some postings and that fucks up the whole schedule again. Um, because yeah. like if you basically you're shooting a video about planching and you have actually a heavy dip session on the next day, that heavy dip session is not going to be that heavy. Um, 
but yeah, that's 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 part of the game. So uh, yeah, which is which is why I think you almost have to come to terms with: Are you going to be a great athlete or a great teacher? I think it would yeah, I, almost be impossible to be both. Yeah, you need you need to make a priority at at, at a certain level, uh, definitely, and then decide you want to go. You know, hundred percent competitive. You want to be the athlete, or you want to be the coach. And uh, yeah, I decided uh, for the coach. Um, I mean, I'm turning 28 this year, so uh, my prime is over. <laughs> Welcome to my age, Michael. I'm 28 now as well, so I'm, I'm feeling that too. It's not like that uh, animalistic 18-year-old testosterone pumping through your body where gains were just infinite. But yeah, it's interesting you made that decision. So out of interest, what, what made you want to decide to go more into the coaching and the business instead of the competing is it just because of the age or is it something about enjoyment mm, that was uh, a process like it was not like one day I, I would have woke up and said like now I'm gonna do this it's like the business side growed um, like I'm now in a very very long-term relationship you know talking about kids talking about getting you know uh, a standard in life and since I'm self-employed, uh, you need to then make the decision, okay, uh, yeah. you know, does the money come from? Um, you want to step up the business side. And that was a process where then priorities got step-by-step step more towards the, the business side. And that's where I ended up. And, like, I was always happy with that decision. And, like, you know, I feel that. It's, it's good that it happens, but at some times I wish also, of course, that I had more time, you know, for training, putting in more passion in that, but uh, coaching and, you know, that business side also gives enjoyment and gives fulfillment. So it's uh, basically I end up doing the same just, you know, on the, the other side. So I yeah. think we're quite think comparable quite like that comparable. because I feel that with, with our age, what we've accomplished physically and also our knowledge we've got more to offer by coaching other people, helping other people, bringing up the next generation so they don't, I guess, make the mistakes that we did. You're, we're probably going to have more impact by helping others compared to, oh, I did a 20-second planche or, a, you know, it gets to a certain point, I feel like, if, you've, if you can practice what you preach and then teach it, I feel similar to you. I derive a lot of pleasure from that teaching aspect as well. You're saying because you have like the the same feeling of you achieving that yourself you have when you you know see that on someone else like that is uh, a similar feeling of success like you know uh, I taught him that I you know put him in that path that gives you really uh, a nice feeling of progress of success uh, similar to uh, achieving that yourself and that you have over and over again so it's yeah it's it's a nice job not gonna lie yeah. it is it's <laughs> almost like you're making gains all the time it's like in your own yeah. practice other people are too but of course it, it comes down to the the student or the client putting in the work themselves but having exactly. a good coach like yourself to, to guide people through the mistakes is very helpful which gets me on to my next question you've been training for a while now what would be a mistake if you look back on when you first started training or in your first few years something that you put a lot of effort into that was not really worth it like uh, something that you learned from that you could do better what would you tell people mm -hmm. when you're asking about a mistake like i did them all 
like you know i'm with <laughs> you was... man how long do you want the podcast to be let's go <laughs> uh, and um when i really like you, you sent me that one question up front and i really needed to think uh, a lot about this um because uh, you know, I was thinking about a lot of small things that had really no big impact, but there's basically two things that I would definitely change when I had the chance to start over again. And the first thing is like write down your workouts. Like without, you don't need to pre-plan everything. You don't need to set up everything, but just write down your numbers. Like I spent so much time not knowing how to progress because I didn't have my numbers down. I didn't know how many sets I did. I didn't even know what I did last week. What what did I have on the belt? You had no like, load, load management, both exactly. past, present or future to calculate. And so that would definitely be something I would change. Just, you know, tracking, track my, my numbers. And the second thing is um, taking time to grow. Like maybe it's like, the you know, social media pressure you know always staying lean or maybe it was like you know how i view myself always wanted to have that shape um but i would definitely be way stronger now if i had you know just take some time back of that 100 percent lean physique and like take some time to really grow um you know like putting on some size bulking up um that would probably be uh, way more beneficial for me um, so that would be probably my two biggest uh, mistakes um, that I have made in my career. That is really valuable advice. And I hope people that are listening really pay attention to the words of wisdom from an OG in the calisthenics game. So true. I, I really like especially point number two about the social media stuff. Um, you're not taking that time to patiently be in a surplus and progressively overload at a, a faster rate when you've got that body composition to do so is huge i think that's something that i'm grateful for when i was doing calisthenics at the start there wasn't that social media uh, pressure of video and photo stuff so you could like i bulked up to like 90 something kilos just smashing dips smashing pull-ups and just you know enjoying the training like you said did you actually know that, that you were a big part of my uh, social media career back in the days? Oh, here we go. No, I didn't. Yeah, you had, um, it was three years ago from now, maybe three and a half. You put up a video with uh, 10 must follows on, on IG. And like I was um, at that stage, like, you know how social media works. You have like the, the first 10K is like the hardest. Yes, and yes, yes. And it gets a bit better. And I was like at that around about that 10k or like 10 to 15k at that time so like the the starting point you know where it's enough to really grow a, a good business from it and yeah. then we had no contact in before no and like you, you put up that video so and that gave me like in the first week it was five five thousand uh instagram followers like in in, in one week and that was for me that was huge like i mean it was one quarter of the followers we already had in in one week and that was uh, a huge boost because then you back in the days you were like one of the top five youtubers at that time and you you know you putting my name in your mouth was like you know uh, a big boost of uh, of my uh, career actually so um that social media pressure i was talking about that was you uh, so there was in a in a good and bad way. I'll take that as both a compliment and a curse. 
But um, I'm, I didn't know that. So that's an awesome story to, to connect with you and have this conversation because, yeah, looking back on that now, I, I'm very glad that I put you in because you're someone that I do respect in the calisthenics game because, like I said, you've got the world-class abilities, but you're not just, not to put people down that just do performance, but you can actually teach people and coach people as well. So that's crazy the way you know life and stuff happens where me putting that out there promoted you and through that promotion you've gone on to help so many other people and the flow-on effect of that which just comes back to why coaching is so valuable that's awesome i i appreciate that story yeah just wanted to share that because that was really like uh that was a big thing for me um back of in course days. man yeah it's all, all it takes is sometimes uh, the right shout out right you know recommendation and the years of hard work which you'd done to that point to get physically strong and up your education paid off so i'm glad man that's good what i wanted to get into now is based on what i was just saying about why i like your work there's a lot of science behind what you say um, with your calisthenics approach which i really resonate with because i try and get that across in what I do with fitness FAQs. Do you think there's not enough science in calisthenics? Mm, definitely. So uh, like the, the pool of research there is, is like super small and uh, like almost everything is like transfer from gymnastic, transfer from powerlifting and you just, you know, you're trying to, to put that up for calisthenics and taking some from there, taking some from there. And yeah, probably that makes sense. But in the end, like we don't know exactly. And uh, the good thing here is there are a lot of youngsters at the moment. Um, you know, there are bachelor thesis, master thesis about calisthenics coming up. Um, there are a lot of, you know, questionnaires out there where people can put information. So there are people starting to, to notice the importance of uh, data. Hmm. Um, and so in like five years from now, since this sport is growing, the community is growing, the professionals are growing, we definitely uh, have a, a lot of data. At the moment, uh, it's when it comes to directly calisthenics, it's a lot of experience based. Yeah. Um, yeah. So not too much research available. So uh, yes, definitely there is a, a lack of data. With uh, calisthenics science, do you think it's related to um, like getting adaptations from programming or more the exercise specific side of things? What, what do you think needs improvement? Mm -hmm. uh, probably more the, the programming part because, you know, exercise science is uh, pretty, you can teach that yourself. You know, if uh, like I have the, the luck to have an engineering background so like I have a, a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering, which made me very familiar with, you know, mechanics, uh, biomechanics and all that stuff. That is uh, where that comes from, because that's what, what I learned. And so I have like always had, um, how do you put that in English? Like I was always good in viewing movements as a, as a machine, as a mechanic. Yeah, yeah very German of you with the levers and yeah. Exactly. So that always gave me a pretty, pretty good understanding of, you know, how to adjust exercises to make that work for a certain body. Um, but when it comes to uh, programming, uh, research is just, just valuable. I mean, uh, imagine statics, like, you know, 
how much hold time is effective, how much, you know, uh, total hold time over a period, over a certain period is useful, uh, how could you, you know, how to structure intensities in isometric training. There is like, there is some research on it, but it's always like, if you take a look at those isometric research is they have like a, a leg extension. They yeah. have a curl it's like never done with with complex movements and it's always on and a like a very controlled apparatus like one of those uh, like isokinetic machines at different joint angles it, it doesn't relate as well then they're always measuring like the intensities with those max voluntary contractions and like you know how to transfer that on a planche like if i'm now doing an advanced tuck am yeah. i at 70 percent contraction am i at 80% contraction, like you should there just is no put electrodes on your clients when they come into you. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like hard to, to carry that over. So there is a lot of, you know, you, you have that, that frame now, what works. So something in between three and 30 seconds works. Like, but how you, you know, how do you structure that in between is then based on, on experience. Yeah. Uh, as always, there are a hundred ways that works. Like, um, you know, there's not one way, but it would be good to to have like a few proven ways you can just, you know, take and say there is like uh, a 90 percent chance that this works for you because it has worked like that for uh, a number of participants of that study, of that study, of that study. And it's just, you know, a bit more backed backed by science. That would yeah, be nice. I guess there's not enough examples with uh, calisthenics specific exercises and maybe how, how it relates to a whole program, right? Because looking at exactly. something in isolation, yeah, cool. Okay, that works on a isometric point. If you want to do weighted calisthenics as well. Yeah. And the, the gymnastic community and the big gymnastic coaches, they're like, they're keeping it all secret. So there is not much, you won't find much programming stuff of that, you know, high class gymnastics. Like really how they approach on-season off-season work um mm, yeah so they are like uh, pretty pretty picky with their information um and it's tough too isn't it michael because you've got probably information relating to these elite gymnasts but that's not very relevant for i guess more than 80 percent of the clients that we'd work with because they've got jobs they've got other stuff they need to do they can't just fully revolve around I guess they're training. Yeah, sure, but there is some some valuable stuff when you take a look at, uh, especially conditioning, like joint conditioning and progressive, um, like getting someone progressively towards a very very stressful element, and they have like you know decades of experience with teaching people crosses, teaching people uh, planches, uh, maltises, and all that stuff. And they have like pretty healthy approaches with that, you know, with working on those dream machines, working um, gymnasts, they work a lot with weights, actually, yeah. um, for, for that conditioning. And there are there is like um, a very, very good carryover to um, like, you know, you getting a new client and he's like 30 year old. He has never really dealt with, with planches and stuff. And if you put him in a tuck planche, he will have uh, an injured biceps tendon, injured front delt and is you know probably also his his wrist flexors are, are fucked up because you just put him in that position and then it's nice if you can say okay there is like a strategy from the gymnast where you have like you know with some van gelder holds some wrist conditioning and you need to load up that exercise to 
20% of your body weight, and then we know we are ready to know Android tuck planche and all that stuff. Um, that is good to have that data available um, because then you can uh, put a client in a, in a safe environment to teach him that element. And that is what the, the gymnasts have done now for decades. And uh, that is some super valuable information to have. Yeah. So unfortunately, there isn't that much uh, literature or science for specific examples of things, but let's bring it back to some useful stuff from your experience because that's probably the best uh, approach people will have to, to go forward. If someone's starting out, just say they're, they're new to calisthenics or they're still in those like newbie gain phases in the first year or so, what would you recommend is like a, like a pathway towards, I guess, like bodyweight mastery for a lack of a better term? Like how, how would you get people to start and what would that look like over time? So starting from, I guess, basics to skills and everything that comes along with it. What's your framework for approaching training? That is pretty hard because it covers like hundreds of, of aspects. At, at, a, like, at a broad level, just maybe my question wasn't yeah, as was good. Like, at a broad well, level, like just starting out, what would your path be for someone? If you were trying to build the ideal hybrid calisthenics person, what would it look like? And then probably spending like the first one or two years just with, you know, really foundation work, uh, covering the basics. So um, making sure that all movement patterns that person wants to train, that they are sustainable and that they are after a certain time, probably period of, you know, six months to one year that these um, movements are ready to, to get loaded up without injuring that person, without, you know, harm them in any case. So spending uh, a lot of time on, on technique and sustainable movement patterns on, you know, like the, the big six movements uh, the, the human body has, like picking something up from the floor, squatting something, uh, pressing something overhead, pressing something away from you, and then vertical pulling and horizontal pulling putting a, a lot of, of effort in, in those like yeah money movements how you call them and from that if you have then a solid foundation of muscle uh, joints and ligaments are conditioned and you know your body understands movement patterns from that point which is then depending on the talent and on the effort that athlete puts in like six to twelve months from there we then would go um, more specific towards you know more advanced goals like uh, putting a person in maybe disadvantaged positions front levers uh, hands and push-ups planches and all that stuff muscle ups um, so whenever there is uh, you know a, a good foundation of coordination and muscle mass then I would put him uh, into more ad advanced stuff in reality you do that way earlier because people want to start with something uh, that is like, you know, uh, if someone wants to learn a plan, she don't wants to spend a year on, on dipping, on push-ups and pipe push-ups and all that stuff. He, you know, he wants a direct feedback of the exercise. So um, to really, you know, guarantee some adherence, uh, you probably would put that first. But uh, in an ideal world, as you ask, uh, probably uh, six to 12 months of straight basic uh, training of the money movements. That was very well said and it has to be highlighted that time frame because people get into training and they think oh after a few months 
I'll be progressing, I'll have a ton of muscle, have a ton of strength and be able to use it. But clearly coming from Michael, years of experience, I can attest to it as well. The human body takes time. It takes time to adapt to everything that you're throwing at it with your training. So be very patient. And point number two I want to discuss is when you're when someone hears something like this, they hear, okay, six months to a year of focusing on the basics, then I get to do the cool stuff, the planches, the front levers, etc. Do you still keep your foundational movements even if someone wants to just do skills? Do you keep doing horizontal and vertical pulling? Or do you do yeah. you shift it? What's what's your approach? Um, I always have like um you know, when you're approaching training, you have like higher priorities and stuff you put on, on maintenance, basically. You no, know, because you, you need to have or to keep a certain level and staying at a certain level still requires work. It does not require as much work as you need to put in to get to that level. But, you know, to get that or to stay on maintenance, you still need to put in some work. So um, you put in a certain amount of volume of the basics to really keep that level, but, you know, add up more volume on the skills progressively over time. But you will always need uh, to, to work on that foundation, uh, definitely. Uh, for, for muscle balance, so to really, you know, stay healthy and, you know, stay in, yeah, in balance, basically. And also to uh, accumulate enough training volume because that will be very hard with just uh, statics. It, it probably works and there are probably examples where it works. But, you know, for that regular guy, it probably don't work. So, um, yeah, definitely keep uh, a certain amount of uh, basic training. Good advice. With um, training, a lot of people will say things like, I want to be big and also strong. Is that possible? So, yeah, definitely, um, because we need to probably um, make a, um, a beginner versus a more advanced athlete. Um, when you're a beginner, like, you know, everything works. You will, you will get stronger and you will get bigger at the same time because uh, hypertrophy, so getting bigger is, you know, one big part of, of getting stronger because the, the bigger a muscle is, uh, the more strength potential that muscle has, so the stronger you get. Um, but the, the more advanced you get, you need to um, focus on a certain skill, whereas the skill now is getting stronger or getting bigger. You need to put more emphasis on one of those sides when you when you plan your training. But when you're having a, a hypertrophy training phase, there will always be strength elements. So you yes. probably also get a bit stronger in uh, a hypertrophy phase, whereas you also have hypertrophy elements in a strength phase. And you also can, can doesn't need to be, but you also can get bigger in a, in a strength phase. So these two, let's call them mechanisms of adaption, uh, they're pretty close, uh, closely connected to each other. So uh, at a certain degree, you will definitely have both of them. Um, the, the more you want to go into one direction, so if you're like, you know, a competitive athlete, you probably need to focus close to the competition way more on strength and, you know, putting that training volume down to a very, very low level to really achieve those high levels of strength where it could be that you, you know, not grow anymore, you don't get any muscles, so then it's definitely not possible to have both. But that are the extremes, like 
for a regular guy, you know, that works with like kind of uh, DOP periodizations, like daily changes, having a heavy day, having a lighter day, you know, then a week maybe more hypertrophy, a week more strength. You know, for them, it's definitely possible to work on those different skills at the same time. The more you get to the athlete level, the more you need to focus in, in certain phases, definitely. It's interesting because the answer that we discuss really depends on the person's level, doesn't it? Because what's going to be relevant for the average person with average strength is completely different to someone who's elite. But from, I guess, most of the people that you discuss training with and help, you know, the average person, what, what's your approach from, let's, let's start at a per workout level. How do you usually structure a general workout? Do you like to... Um, include both strength and hypertrophy in the same workout or does that depend on where it is in the in the training phase so yeah that highly depends on where it is in the training phase but there is always be or there will always be both so um because imagine you need to accumulate all your training volume in one session in the like one to five rep range oh man you'd be training for three hours yeah uh, you <laughs> yeah, do 10 sets of one or something 10 to 15 yeah, sets of one first of all it, it takes forever and like you, you, your nervous system fatigue will kill you after set number four set number five you know performance yeah. immediately drops so you will need to incorporate like those hypertrophy uh, rep ranges definitely so we, we always have that in and like from the exercise order like the first thing is or the first part of the workouts are always like movements um, like balance movements, everything that, you know, requires a high amount of skill and concentration, um, like directly followed by more rapid strength exercises. So when you incorporate like explosive pulls, uh, muscle up and all that stuff, because that also requires uh, uh, not to be pre-fatigued. And then you structure usually just uh, multi-joint lifts. So compound lifts are followed by a uh, single joint lifts more isolation exercise and at the end depending on what you need to do like some cool down mobility prehab work um that would basically be the structures and there is an exception for everything like you know priority one is also part one on the workout and if you're like in a phase where you like focus on you know you want to gain bigger arms bigger calves you know train that at the beginning uh, that's your priority number one and everything else is you know ranked after that uh, that would be an exception um, and so on and so on but usually it's you know uh, rapid strength and you know balanced skill exercises followed by multi-joint lifts followed by uh, single joint lifts if people follow that structure they're going to get a good blend of of all worlds and improving like you said a few attributes at once from your experience what do you feel people respond the best to both from a uh, results uh, perspective and also enjoyment perspective in terms of how to structure like a, a mesocycle you know microcycle macrocycle all that stuff how do you how do you find do you do you like to incorporate yeah how do you like to incorporate it mm -hmm. like i can't oh, no, can, tough question i know i can uh give you just one more specific example because yeah. otherwise you know uh, if you like talking about a, a competition athlete um, time frame is uh, six months let's say that so from now to six months there is a competition 
you basically uh, take a look at the athlete and uh, say, okay, you have that and that amount of hypertrophy potential. If that hypertrophy potential is pretty low, you have a long strength phase and uh, a very, very short hypertrophy phase. If that guy has like maybe uh, a lot of space in its weight class, you know, for the next upcoming weight class, he has a big hypertrophy potential, then we will have a big hypertrophy phase and a smaller strength phase. And then you just split up those six months. Let's say then in uh, four months of hypertrophy, two months of strength, because you know that that athlete can grow a lot. And then you structure that hypertrophy phase um, with still with strength elements. And, and I like to schedule that with uh, sets over 80%. So nice. in the main lifts and you have like, you know, one to three sets over 80% one RM in that hypertrophy phase. So per week per lift and then like, you know, getting four to when you are having an elite athlete up to eight sets of 80% one RM during that strength phase and everything else then organizes um, depending on the equipment, depending, you know, on the on the fun. Uh, maybe an uh, important key point is here also when it comes to hypertrophy, variation is king. So, you know, doing a lot of stuff, doing different movements, um, you know, giving different angles, changing exercises more often, doing more exercises, less set. And when it comes to strength, as strength is a specific skill, so you're not getting overall stronger, you're getting stronger in that rep range and that exercise you're training. Um, specificity is king. So you have less exercises, um, less variation, and more specificity towards your uh, goal lifts, competition lifts, whatever. So uh, you have like uh, specificity going up, variation is going down, and then how you, so intensity is going up obviously in the strength phase, but that depends also a bit on the athletes. Um, you know, how you change up volume, how you change up frequencies and all that stuff. That is pretty individual. So I uh, don't want to give out yeah, recommendations for that here. No, that's that's actually really helpful for people listening because based on whether the priority is strength or hypertrophy, you've given a handful of actionable, I guess, guidelines or principles that people can follow with that. I want to continue, Michael, to actually what was initially sparked our our call to have this discussion was I, I, rele I recently released a video on YouTube. Uh, it was on a video regarding uh, dips, like just general dip form. And um, Michael sent me a cheeky message saying, not sure if I agree with you, Daniel. So being the weighted calisthenics expert, being uh, engineering background, I'm actually kind of regretting this discussion right now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, let's let's delve into it with just a. I want to talk a bit about weighted calisthenics form for a few exercises. But starting with the dip, in the video I said um, for body weight dips that it's preferable to just retract and depress the scap to keep the humerus centered, and that was just a general guideline I feel is healthy for most people. But based on Michael's experience, especially when it comes to weighted dips. He suggests that you should be using a protracted style of, of dip. Was that what the um, point that yeah. you raised so was? We, we, as you said, and always would, uh, like the, the structure of your video was uh, not too smart because just at the end of your video, you said 
for which weight range and which repetition range all that previous recommendations are put out. Because at the end of the video, you are saying that you recommend that for like, I think it was like uh, 10 or like 15 to 50 rep range. So pretty, pretty high rep range, you know, not loading up that. And, you know, um, my community is more related to that, you know, 1RM calisthenics which makes up or requires a, a total different form because uh, you can't train in a one to five rep range in joint end ranges. That, that doesn't work. You will fuck up your shoulder um, immediately. So uh, that was the, the first thing that confused a few uh, people because you know, if you're working in that higher rep ranges and if the dip is already a super light exercise for you, do whatever the fuck you want. Go as, as deep as you want. Like it's like, you know, it's you can do a skin the cat in that mm, rep yeah. range. So you can do a dip in uh, in that range of motion, not rep range. So uh that is really you know, it, it works. You don't need to worry about it too much. But the the more you load that up, the more you need to think about that. And that is um the first part where the protraction comes from. And then here we need to differentiate between starting position and you know bottom reverse point because it definitely yes. changes yes and uh, the protraction or the idea behind the protraction is cutting range of motion so everything that we want to do as competition athletes is having maximum amount of weight while dipping the minimum amount of range of motion that is allowed in the competition compare that with that you know, bridge in the bench press uh, for uh, the power lifters. So that is where the, the biggest difference comes from. So where you ask promote max range of motion, like we promote the most uh, efficient range of motion to maximize load on, on the belt. And I've... if you now take a look at the, to finish that, the, the protraction is, um, if you take a look on the side view on dip and I have my, my scaps protracted here yep. and then if I put that in retraction, that is almost 10 centimeters of, of, of course. Yeah. Yep. 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 basically. Yep. So the, the protraction has two reasons. It cuts range of motion and it avoids to put my, uh, my uh, glenumal joint in an end range. So I'm just having less, um, how you call that, shoulder extension, yeah. Yeah, so with what you raised your point, I, I agree with you. Definitely the, the format of the dip video could have been refined to better reflect what I want to talk about. So I just want to make it very clear that the most of the people watching fitness FAQs are beginners or intermediates. So there's not many people doing weighted dips or, or very heavy loads so i guess what i was trying to get across with that video was that particular form is good for body weight dips or those that are chasing hypertrophy as as you mentioned because more range of motion takes the muscles through a greater stretch better stimulus etc etc but i can see how the confusion came about because my recommendation afterwards might have been a bit confusing for people that want to do top end strength, max strength with their dips. So I did recommend a more moderate rep range, which is congruent with the hypertrophy research for more um, accruement of volume without the fatigue that comes and 
the risk of, of heavy loads, etc. So I guess I had to, if I was to do that video again, I would make it clear in that dip section that the I'm promoting this type of form for, for body weight and also hypertrophy loads where you're not going to be using 100 kilos like a 1RM like like Michael, the beast over here. It's it's more moderate loads like one plate or two plates or something like that. So I could see how that confusion comes in, but I definitely see the value in what you're saying with um, the, the protracted anterior tilt of the scap because, yeah, when it comes to strength, you want to hit the form standards no more. Why would you want to go deeper in a competition? So I, I think that the discussion here, it's, it's difficult. You can see, you know this from your own um, content creation. It's difficult to convey everything you want to say in a, even a 10-minute video. Like we're having an hour discussion on calisthenics and we haven't even scratched the surface. So um, I, I definitely do agree with you for weighted dip form. The, the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. Your results speak for themselves. And um, I, I would definitely take your lead um, humblingly when it comes to weighted calisthenics because you've got the results to back it up. Thanks. Yeah. So uh, if you want to continue to uh, talk about dips, there were like uh, some points I just like to mention um, to uh, in, in relation also to, to your video um, to just, you know, uh, showing my opinion on that. Go for it, man. Because there for was sure. like um, one thing that um, I just really wanted to correct because like I think that is something especially for weighted calisthenics that is uh, important to know and you also know that and you also show that in your video but you haven't uh, talked about that is that you were talking about the, the proud posture at the beginning of the dip um, whereas you also said what is super correct and also important that when you are approaching a way to dip that you want to have a, a vertical bar path uh, or not a bar path, uh, a weight path. And if you now take a look at the negative movement, like in the, in the last quarter or in the last third of that movement, you need to approach a certain amount of uh, thoracic spine flexion to not let the weight move backwards. Because if you would keep your spine perfectly straight, you would automatically result in, you know, that certain pendulum. And that is what also confused a lot of people um, because you need that certain amount of, of bending to avoid that, that weight from shaking. And was like uh, just to uh, differentiate between starting and an end position to, to make that clear. I mean, that is what you showed in your videos. Like if you take a look at you dipping at the end position, you also have uh, a bit of, you know, flexing. Um, but as you know, if you don't say that exactly as you mean it, um, people tend to uh, uh, not do that. And that was uh, an important point. I just uh, like no, to clarify. I, I really appreciate you raising that because, yeah, us as, as quote unquote experts and coaches, People look up to us and they uh, really follow what we say. And um, yeah, that's something that based on your feedback, I could have definitely presented a bit more clearly. Just the distinction between the different phases of the dip would have definitely been helpful. So like, like you said, at the top, you want to be in that, in that thoracic extension, proud position to set it. But that changes over time with the actual dip. So 
I, I do agree with what you said regarding that. You're not going to stay rigid the whole time because it's dynamic exercise to control where that load is to be, yeah, as strong as possible in the dip. Yeah, exactly. And then basically everything else you were covering uh, in that video, but now you you know you can uh, like have a, a dip seminar running from from time to time without promoting that here because there are no dates available anyway yet, and that is uh, a two hours. Oh, seminar. Yes, yes, yes. Just about dips, you know, covering all that detail. So you in a in a ten minute video, um, you know, giving people you always will just give the, the surface, you know, recommendations to start from and then from that point you find your individual form. Um so um if I would do probably the same video, you could as well mark 100 points like that is incomplete that is not true for that and that and that case so you know if you want to have a detailed uh, youtube video is just not the format uh, for that yeah um, it's a, it's that challenge as a as a teacher of like uh, presenting the information as succinctly as possible but also identifying where you could have said it better what you've missed out on and yeah, having this conversation with you, there's there's definitely ways that I would approach the video differently. But oftentimes that's easier after the fact because when I was there brainstorming for the video, conceptually thinking about it, doing a little bit of research about it, it you come up with certain things, but this is the value of if you've got someone else to throw ideas around, um, you, you spot things that other people couldn't. So stuff like this it's like i'm i'm down for it because at the end of the day people get to know about the dip if they're listening to this and they'll they'll never forget it now because we've had this discussion which is great then yeah as you also you i think i i'll listen to uh your podcast with uh with calisthenics movement like as a, as a preparation uh, before our podcast and you had a, a pretty nice discussion about um, adjusting the information of a video towards your target group. Yeah. Uh, and that is also, you know, you have a shitload of followers. Like, it's like over a million as far as I know now. So the, um, the strength education Larry, uh, level, if you, you know, take the average, is pretty low. So you need to put the wording and the way you show things also pretty low meaning yes. for the more advanced community which is probably less than five percent of your overall community that video might not be very helpful but for 95 percent it has a very very high value so that is you know something you need to decide for every video on your own how you you present information yes. to make it available for the the main part of your community because i'm not yeah, a few. Exactly, because over time, over the years, Michael, I've I've seen when I've I've presented more advanced concepts, the basic feedback I get from people is, Daniel, I know you know what you're talking about. Just tell me what to do, which is a bit yeah. frustrating because I think you're very similar to me because you like to research this stuff, understand the science, but then you you can do it yourself. But like you just said, it's it's frustrating when if you do present these advanced concepts, it's going to go over people's heads. They're not going to be listening. They're not going to apply it. And it's going to hit only a very small portion of people. So my, my dilemma is always how detailed do I go and how do I present the information without being too basic and 
I guess, making people, you know, when you present information in a way like you don't want to talk down to people, like you don't want to say it so simply that people are like, oh, you're treating me like I'm not intelligent. So trying to get that balance is always a challenge for me. Yeah, but if you, if you take a look at your audience, you are probably one of the best in the world in, in doing so uh, because people enjoy that. And that is, uh, yeah, it's something uh, I can't do. Like, you know, I have uh, a lot of difficulties in cutting out information um, that might not be necessary for uh, yeah. a certain athlete to know because uh, as the, the coach, you need to know that. But what you need to present is uh, another story. Yeah. And that is basically the art also for, for YouTube. And uh, yeah, I'm just uh, not a good YouTuber. Let's put it like this. Like I'm not uh, good into breaking down those those informations because like I want to say it all. Like, you know, yeah. I want to make a, a two hours video of covering all the details, but that has a community of like, I don't know, a, a thousand views or something like I this. Yeah. But I think there's a time and a place for it, Michael. Like, I hope in the future, if we connect in person, the the combination of the two, both the training and the teaching at the same time, I believe you would really shine doing that because, yeah, with minimal preparation for this conversation, you, you're showing your broad understanding of anatomy and calisthenics programming. So it, I think it's just one of those things that you're just putting yourself down more than you should if that makes sense yeah i'm a, I'm a nerd <laughs> <laughs> a jack nerd that can do 100 kilo plus one rm dips <laughs> 135 at the moment estimated damn dude wait until that next comp huh that's when he's uh, gonna unleash <laughs> <laughs> that's that 100 triggered me sorry i don't want to post <laughs> I, I was talking about his first competition sorry sorry get it correct <laughs> With um, I just want to talk about another calisthenics staple. What's your overall form that you would recommend for a weighted pull-up, heavy mm. weighted pull-ups in the strength range? What scat position, etc. Um, we just you know starting with starting position, pulling, negative, and so on. Um, so if we're let's keep it simple. So in the in the in the starting position, what we want to do is just uh slightly overextend our t-spine when we're hanging on the bar with probably a bit wider than shoulder grip and um, why do we want to do that is if we're taking a look on how the the lat muscle is structured you're just um putting in the lat muscles in the pulling direction direction so if you just slightly overextend you know you just have more fibers available for that movement so that is what you want to do and then you want to squeeze your butt cheeks because um, that, you know, lat is connecting basically uh, your shoulders and your, your hips. So if you put the, the glutes tight, you can create more tension on the lats. Because, you know, it, it's not that uh, having a hard time saying that in English. You, it, it can't stretch <laughs> on, the, on the bottom part of the, of the lats because um, the, the lats and the glutes are connected over fascia. Yeah, the or, you, your origin, you're, you're fixing that origin more so. Exactly. Like if you have a, a spring, if you don't fix the, the bottom, you know, it's, it's more wobbly. So you, you would just want to squeeze the glutes, slightly overextend your T-spine, and then put your shoulders into uh, a depressed position. 
Um, that is not the, the most healthiest way uh, to do it because, as you know, in a hanging position, highly depressing, that can cause some, some discomfort in the shoulder, but it, it cuts range of motion. So when we're talking about performance, that is what we want to do. So we want to cut range of motion because in the top position, um, when our muscles are already weak, you know, then depressing is almost impossible. So we're going to do that before. And yeah, so um, elbows, keep them close to the body because the moment elbows are flaring out, you are um, putting the, the lat muscles in a biomechanical disadvantage position. So you want to keep them as close as possible. And um, yeah, the, the moment you reach the top, you can like shrug that um, pull up a bit, you know, with the chin over the bar because that is required for competitions. And uh, this is what you then call like a horizontal close. So you're basically pulling to a certain height level with your elbows close to the body. And then you're kind of initiating a, a biceps curl, let's say it like this, to really bring the chin over the bar. Yes. Um, that is uh, something that just, you know, saves up energy and you you're giving that chin over the bar. Uh, that is not something you should do in training because it puts like a, a very high stress on the elbows and on the shoulders because you're working highly internal rotated. Um, but, you know, if you're really in a strength rep range and you want to get max load over the bar, uh, this is how it will end up anyway. So uh, this is what you what you want to do. And then what is your favorite way to learn in terms of fitness stuff? programming calisthenics do you read books podcasts do you read blogs what's what's your best resources for upskilling your education mm, so um yeah okay again okay so the the process is um actually pretty similar all the time and when you want to you know start with knowing it all you're gonna have a really really bad time because you will get confused with what to start um, like my system that, that works pretty pretty good for me is um, whenever I face uh, a certain issue like a, a client had a question uh, for me that I couldn't answer or someone on social media asked me a question that I couldn't answer I start you know simply by googling that question and uh, where I pick my resources is just you know the the regular science-based um, um, platforms like NCIB, ResearchGate, uh, Public Med, and, and all that stuff. So then I just you know putting in the keywords and see on that typical question is there some research, and then you know you're going through the abstract of of the studies, and if you know that abstract you know it it fits kind of towards the the topic that you. Uh, that you're gonna uh, inform yourself about, you just read through the whole study and then you're smarter. Then there is some references in that study. Then you go through that references and then, you know, it, it gives you a bigger picture of, uh, of that topic. And then you just really click by click by click, you're getting educated uh, on that topic. So that is how I deal with, you know, specific questions. And if I, you know, really want to approach a big new topic, then I just get a book on that topic. It's like, okay, I'm now interested in uh, deadlifting and uh, bench pressing. Then, you know, I'm just typing in in the Amazon bookstore, like uh, a powerlifting book. And then you come up with like the Eric Helms, Mark Ripto's, Mike Israeli, and you know, all that guys. And you just purchase that book and you read through it. And in that book, you have references again. 
then you go through that references and you know then you see it's it makes a, a bigger picture and you can just you know go source by source by source by source and uh, educate yourself with uh yeah, super low budget. Uh, we have the luck to live in a in a time where like those informations are almost for free, and yeah, that is basically how how I approach it, and you know how I got to to the point where I am now. So you're telling me that over time you just end up asking more questions and you just keep diving deeper and deeper. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's how it went because like uh, you don't know what you don't know. Like that is the problem. You know, <laughs> you, you, you can't look up stuff that you don't know if you don't know that you don't know it. <laughs> yeah. And this is the sign of someone that uh, knows a lot of information. They know that there is so much more to learn. That's clear from speaking to you because you just keep asking more questions, more problems. What's the solution? How can I do it better? Exactly. And that is a never ending story. Like if you take a look at podcasts with people that are like, decades in this industry, they're still educating, they're still releasing books after 30 years of research, you know, there's like, uh, that since this is a pretty young field of research, um, that will be, you know, you need to educate yourself um, over and over and over. No matter how many years you've been doing it, the day that you think you know it all, or you have nothing left to learn, game over, say goodbye to progress, say goodbye to growth. And say goodbye to business because someone else will, you know, surpass you yes. because he has the, the newest shit and yeah, he knows. Exactly. Hey, just on that topic for people that are listening, generally doing calisthenics, they would definitely be looking up to yourself because you're, you'd be one of the very few people who are doing calisthenics for a living full time. What would be your advice for people that want to pursue this as a business, as a livelihood? Mm-hmm. It depends a bit on, on the business you want to choose. Um, so uh, let's talk about the coaching business because that is where, where I am now in. Um, the good thing about the coaching business is you don't need a big audience um, because you can make a very good living out of you know 15 to 30 clients, um, depending you know on how much money you need and what your price ranges is and all that stuff. So you don't need a, a big community and you just need to know more than the people you want to coach that is basically that is the the requirements for coaching so you don't need to be a, a high level expert um, you need to be a high level expert if you want to teach experts um, but you know if you have a medium to intermediate understanding of that calisthenics you can coach people at a beginner level like that works you know because you know more you know enough and so on and so on. So um, for coaching, like get as good in your range of sports or in your field of sports as possible because you are the role model. You need to, to do what you preach basically. And then at the same start time, start coaching people. Like that's really all, all you need to do. Um, you know, start with friends, start with family, see if your concepts work. Um, develop an idea of how that that works and then you just start to take charges for it and like be prepared that that takes time like just because you now put online coach in your bio it doesn't mean like you're gonna end up with like 100 clients like it really it's a it's a long process Um, and then when you have your first clients start sharing their results like look 
I made him better than another people maybe facing the same problem that you solved for that client and they're dropping in and that is a you know that multiplication process just uh, takes a lot of time and at the same time just you know promote yourself over social media in your niche that you you want to promote like for my example that is like you know uh, more uh, advanced stuff like I don't put out any information for beginners like because you know I don't coach beginners that is not my target group I just focus more on the advanced stuff and if you're more into that beginner range then just you know post about that stuff like um, solve problems for people because if you can like solve small problems on social media like the people okay if he solves that problem in that post the coaching is probably amazing and so you know you, you need to just solve problems on a, on a daily basis and give out client results that basically the the two uh, biggest marketing tools you need as an online coach and then just start small and grow that over time Perfect, man. After hearing you say that, if I was listening to this advice uh, for the first time, wanting to start a business, I wouldn't feel overwhelmed. I, f- I feel like I've got some some clarity and a general approach to to start making a living with calisthenics. So that's good advice from someone that's actually doing it. And a lot of really good takeaways there just on the topic of calisthenics at large. I'll keep it there, Michael. Where can people find out more about you, your work, and if they're interested in getting coaching from you? So uh, you probably uh, link the Instagram below. It's uh, uh, Misha underscore BLN underscore on Instagram, and there you find you know contact formula, email, and all that stuff. Or just drop me a message. Uh, you can find me on YouTube as uh, Misha Schultz, which is my name. And you also uh, find me on the uh, World Wide Web on kingofweighted.com. Super uh, understatement domain as always. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's the, that's the age we live in now. You've got to draw people in with a catchy title, but I'm sure they'll stick around for the substance with uh, what you've got to offer, man. Hey, we'll end it there. I hope to connect with you in person sometime in the future. Would be awesome to get some collaborations both tutorials and some some real training with you sometime man yeah i'm down for that like i can't wait to to leave germany after this pandemic like i'm i fly wherever you want me (laughs) yeah have you visited australia before michael never no well melbourne fitness faq's hq you've got an invite right Thanks everyone for listening. Visit fitnessfaqs.com to master calisthenics and become a bodyweight pro.